Recording. Hello. Welcome for another uh, episode of Zusammen. Right. Hello, Tsipi. Aha, uh -huh. and again, hello, Tsili. Good to see you. And we have together with us today Irina Nevslin, our friend. She's the uh, chairman of the board of the, uh, the Museum of the Jewish People. Nice. Yay! <laughs> She's going, in she's Israel. getting there. Very nice. In getting Israel. there. Um, welcome, Irina. Uh, good to be with welcome you. Welcome, everybody. And we are going to be here every week. And the reason why you're going to see us every week is because there are so many changes every day. We cannot catch up with not the news and not everything that's happening, but there are so many questions that we have. So we wonder about so many things that we decided to meet with people that we think they will be able to fill our mind and uh, maybe our soul. And uh, therefore we are going to meet different people, different subjects, and as Tilly said, this week we have Irena, Irena right? and we're going to talk about identity. And there is a book. Shalosh Arba Irena. 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 That's it. There is a book. Okay. Very this important. Okay. Irena's book about identity, the impacts of identity. And um, let's start with you, Irena. Why did you write it? Why, what was the main reason you put it together. First, I'll say I'm so, so happy to be here because the moment I switch on the camera, I saw two, smile, two smiling people. And that's so not, no, it's, it's so not obvious in our days that this is not a difficult and serious conversation and that you're a, you want to go deep, but you also want to have fun. So I'm very excited to yes, be but here. But don't forget that ah. one of the best things in your book, which you're talking about people that they must have the zeal for life. You know the happiness. Right. The looking for. That's what. That's what I see here. That's what I see. In spite of everything, here. we are going to have fun. Absolutely. So I'll tell you why I wrote the book, and I think it's the same reason, and it's it's a good reason because it's it's also the reason that I met you, right? Ultimately, I I wrote the book because because of my personal story and because because I was an immigrant three times and because I was a minority up until I. I was going through some journey and I'm still going through that. And over the years, I realized that I'm so constantly bombarded with questions about who I am, what do I belong to, what does it mean, me, that, and, and that's something that this zeal for life comes from actually constantly exploring this question. And so I realized that if I want people to share my passion about why it's important to ask yourself sometimes difficult questions, the way I can do it is to put it in writing. So I wasn't expecting to be an author. It's still a surprise for me till this day when I see my book published and still get excited. It's the first book. Yeah, but it's okay, go. No, no, it's okay. But the, the thing is that it's a process forever. It's not that you get to a point that you feel something and you rest. It's a process forever. Right. How would you prioritize the list of uh, the point of your uh, identity? Like, first of all, you are what? I'm Jewish, first of all. And then? And then I'm, okay, I'm Jewish, and then I'm cosmopolitan, okay. and then I'm a human being, yes. and then yes. I'm uh, Israeli, yes. and then I think I'm a mother, uh, daughter, uh, wife, and then, and the interesting thing is that for me, for example, everything from the second changes once in a while. Yes. Jewish stays constantly the same. And you, Tsipi? Um, 
I must, I must be honest, because the way we grew up, it's first and foremost Israeli. Because we took for granted our Jewishness. We didn't even deal with that, right? Although we did study, you know, the Bible, whatever, but our identity, the way we were socializing it was really being an Israeli. Um, a woman, but I really became much more aware of it later in life. Again, in the beginning, I took it for granted. But, but and also because I got married so young and became a mother so young, it became later. But Israeli is on the top. I must admit Cillian, you. Are you? I'm Jewish first. And I think it's a little bit unusual among my age group. Right. Uh, I just honestly don't think that I would be an Israeli unless I would be a Jewish, uh, a Jew. So, so Judaism is first, uh, Israeli, of course. In spite of the fact that I live in the United States and I have an American uh, citizenship, I'm an Israeli that lives in America for many years, but this is it. And of course, uh, woman and all the rest, but the main thing is Jewish, Israeli. That's, that's the, and, and I carry my home with me, but this is a part of the process that I go. So wherever I am, I'm home. Um, so you have, to, I wonder, yeah. so you came to Israel at what age? I was 28 and it was, yeah. I, I first, le I left Russia when I was 25. Russia is where I was born. I mean, you can, you can still hear by the accent no matter what. And then I, I, I was in London for three years and in London I made the decision to make um, Aliyah. So I came, I came in the late age. So when you came to Israel, what is the dominance? What you carried with you? The Russian culture? Did you try, like in your book, did you make the attempt to become British? I, I already knew that would be a mistake. I understood it very early on in, in London that I wouldn't fit. And I, I very early understood that, and Sipia will understand me very well, Tilly, will understand me very well. The, being outsider is a huge privilege and advantage. And so when I came to, to London, I understood very quickly that if I don't want to play by the rules and if I want to build who I am, I just have to continue staying outsider. And it's easy because I'm a newcomer, because my language is not, you know, British English. So when I came to Israel, I was already trained that you don't need to fit. Now in Israel, it was much easier because I did feel at home, even though it's completely not a place where I grew up, but I did feel at home. But a lot of things were quite Difficult for me too, even though it was uh, home. When we get to the Jewish, to the Museum of the Jewish People, we probably will try to understand it more. But when you left Russia and you went to England, you came to Israel. Um, in Israel, I, I just wonder, did you feel also in the beginning that Israelis look at you with the other? Did you feel completely that they accept? Because we know there is so many Russians in Israel. How many of them really know uh, what is the no big, no big good? Yes, Russian, Russian, Russian. There is no Russian who doesn't know what is no big good because we How grew about up Israelis? I'm not sure that the yeah. Israelis know. Israelis have a very set ideas what is Russian, you know, in the best, best of them, they know about Pushkin, right? They maybe right. know about communism. It's, you write it in your book about labeling people. So the question is, when you came to Israel, if you felt labeled? 
look, you know, it's funny because I, I can see sometimes stigmas that people put to me and to others. I, I notice them. It doesn't bother me, doesn't touch me emotionally because it's, it's their reaction to me, not how I, I define myself. But of course you have it. But you know, the good thing in Israel is that you have every time you have the next Aliyah looking down at the previous oh, Aliyah. So one, it's yeah. the Russian and it's the Moroccan and it's, right. you name Romanian, it. Romanian. Uh, yes, Romanian. I mean, there's and within Russians you will find the Caucasian and and you know and, and Bukharian and and you will find there is always somebody to look down at. Okay, so I I didn't feel quite that way. I was making more fun of it, but a lot of people in the Russian community, especially in the uh, like a generation mine and plus, like forty and plus felt that way because I think when they came, they came, I came easier. Look, I, they came in the 90s and they took a lot of, uh, from in, in the experience of people who were born in Israel, they took a lot of jobs. They're, Russian people are educated people, people who have, you know, high ethics for work. They took, like, there was a competition, right? So they felt it. I already came in the time when Russian Aliyah seemed to be something that brings culture and high tech. And so, so I didn't come, you know, with this in, in the difficult, uh, time for Russians. Why did you decide to really move to Israel, to leave London and just to make Aliyah and become an Israeli? Look, I came to Israel first time when I was 13. Wow. When I came to Israel, the level of my ignorance of our Jewish story and of where I come from really was huge. I mean, uh, it's to the point that I'm feel, I should feel ashamed. I don't, but I should feel ashamed as the chair of the board of the Museum of the Jewish People, that when my grandmother took me to the to Kotel, I didn't quite know what it was. It and was so I think- Western Wall, right. yeah. And I, I think, Tzile, I told you once, is when I came to Kotel, I had no understanding, no previous knowledge, no historical background, nothing, but I just started crying. And I cried and I cried and I know I'm not a crying time, wasn't a crying time, not anymore, but wasn't a crying time. And I cried and I cried because I felt that it's something that I know. I couldn't explain it. It's not, but it's like you meet somebody and you have such a great connection that you say, well, we know each other from somewhere, you know the feeling. So mm -hmm. that was my experience with Israel in 13. And then uh, fast forward, I was in London for three years. I was working and in a big international company and then uh, freelance by myself. And I knew at some point, I was 28, that it's not home. It was just not, it's not, it, it, London is a great place to, to have a career, really great because the opportunities are, I mean, it's between New York and London, right? Right. Opportunities are great for international people, it's great. but. I wanted to go home. I wanted to feel at home. And so I didn't make a decision consciously and I'm not good with, um, I'm very instinctive. So I, I'm not good with pluses and minuses. You know how people make advantages or disadvantages. I, it's, a, it's a bit of a, you know, it's not for me, but what happened was I was coming to one on one of my visits to Israel and I came here a lot. And on the plane, I just said to myself, that's it, it's time to go home. And then within three months from that, I made Aliyah. So it was not irrational, you know, you do speak, I think I remember well about Kahneman and Tversky and whether we are rational or not. Uh, so your decision was not a rational one, right? No, it was, it was purely, I don't, I wouldn't call it emotional. I wouldn't make it like, I think it was coming from what you said, coming from the soul, really. It was just the right thing to do for me. But you know, the, the journey of 
you and I is exactly the opposite. Because you grew up as a Jewish girl in Russia, not then in London, really. and, uh, and you had an agenda eventually to go someplace to feel at home, and it was Israel, and you wanted to focus on a Jewish environment, Jewish feel, uh, to be part of the Jewish world, to be acknowledged as part of the Jewish world. And I grew up in Israel, and I moved to New York, which is coming out of the conus into a vast world that Israel become very tiny, very far away, but very focused on the way you look at things. And from the obvious thing that you're among Jews, nothing is obvious. And doesn't matter how many Jews are in New York, you have to find your place outside of Israel with yourself personally, as a Jew, as an Israeli, as an outsider. And it's process that is going forever, no matter how uh, local you become and how many layers you conquer, you know? So it's really like exactly the opposite. And we both run around the same subject and we both attach to the Museum of the Jewish uh, people, people. Uh, from the same reason, just the opposite. And it's really interesting to understand the need of everybody to be familiar with something and belong to someplace. And everybody's busy with this, either they don't want it, or they make a fuss out about it, or they want it very much, or they cannot reach it, or they try to get it. There's always many differences, but we're all busy with identity all the time, all the time, yeah, all the but, time. But you do, you know, it really related in your book, when you were talking that we have to uh, stay ourselves, right? It's very important, I think so, right? This is a very major, out of your book to be loyal to yourself right first and foremost and the question is and that's where identity comes into place when you want to be loyal to yourself which i think you don't need any book to know to to you know this sentence will be most people will say yes and then you have to ask yourself right but what it is myself right and that's where the trick starts right and right. that's and then you start to define yourself on some level and you think that's how you define and it can be very superficial and then you can go a little bit deeper, right? And you can go, and then you meet a lot of people who I'm very sorry for, who think that they're not dealing with this question. They don't just don't understand that making every simple decision in life, they are going through the process, whether conscious or unconscious of who they are and what does it mean and making the decision. And so I think like peeling these layers, the which are, is, is, that's the reason I wrote the book, by the way, because I, I didn't have a choice of going through that process. I was just being a minority and being an immigrant. You don't have a choice. You just do that. And by the way, Celia, I think you were searching to go through the process. And that's why you, you know, you don't have many questions when you live in your comfort zone. You need to really get out to start asking but I have those to questions. Say, I have to say that as much as I came to New York on a comfort zone, as you say, economically, it was a comfort zone. Uh, all the other zones weren't comfortable at all. And it was very interesting because, first of all, to leave Israel is, is very strange. Although I think sub, subconsciously, uh, subconsciously, you lead yourself to places. Because, you know, mm -hmm. just two weeks before I, I uh, met uh, Leon, Your husband. Was, uh, my late husband, um, I sat in a coffee shop uh, in Tel Aviv with a friend of mine, and we were talking about whom we're going to meet, who we're going to live with. Uh, and he said this, and I said that, and then I told him, you know, 
I think I think it's going to be somebody from someplace else, but I don't know. I really don't want it to be too much someplace else because I would feel very strange. But I don't know if it would be somebody from us here that went someplace else or somebody from someplace else that would be uh, in touch with us. But definitely his name won't be in Hebrew name, like an Israeli name. And two wow. weeks later, I met Leon and the guy said, I cannot believe we had this conversation. And I think that really we lead ourselves towards something. And basically, no matter how far we go, we go very near and very close because we look from the soul and you, you get attached to somebody that is very close to you. So, uh, and, and you can see it yourself. You're married to a Russian guy, you're married to, uh, to a friend of your father. Everything is very familiar and very close. Doesn't matter where you know you move from Russia to London, from London to Israel, but you're home. You basically came yeah. back anyway. So it's you really, know, um, um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting process. It's a very interesting. But why? What did I say? What did we start where? Where no, was no, no, I? No, I got no, lost. No, no, no. Uh, but you know, I'm completely not in my comfort zone, and I'm absolutely in the opposite of you two guys, and I am. On and you know out and, and in and is I'm six months and six months, uh, okay. Okay, so uh, but I'm never here, and people don't understand what I'm talking about when I say I'm here with my body. I cannot complain because I have a job. I'm a professor at NYU. My husband is a professor here. I have to be six months in Israel. I cannot breathe here. It's different, and this is for many years. But the thing is that CP came here for a either for a sabbatical or for right. studying. Right. And eventually, you know, over the years, it de they develop a system that they do it both places. So she's always part of a different community, which is the uh, uh, university community. And they go back and forth, back and forth. They teach both places, they work both places. She never moved and she never left. And Israel. she's always, yeah, and Tel she's always, uh, in Israel, she listens to Israel, she watches the news in Israel. She lives in Israel on New York time, on Israeli time. But now I remember coming back to the comfort zone. You know that for two years, for the first two years that I was here, I had no identity, legal identity. If I would drop dead in the street, nobody would know who am I. Because I didn't have the papers, I didn't have the numbers, I didn't have, a, nobody wanted me. They always say, if you'll have the other one, you'll get it. If you have the other one, you'll get it. And even with immigration, I had a problem. And I think that because Leon was who he was, they couldn't believe that I would be, you know, that I'll be part of the whole process. You were like a so, Talit. How you and say I Talit? said, this is, this is to be an immigrant, like high level immigrant with no rights. Right. And, it, and Leon was in shock even when he sent me to all kinds of lawyers. He said, I cannot believe it. I said, because you never had to face it. You never had to go. And every immigrant and every person, because New York is the whole world, everybody comes, they know something. They know people and they know things and they get along and they find their way. And New York is a place that allows, that basically give a platform to everybody, everybody on every level and you can find your way. But there, it wasn't comfortable at all. It wasn't but that's great. But I did, I think that uh, you needed to leave the comfort zone. That's what I say, whether consciously or unconsciously, in order to start asking questions, what you really like, who you really want to be, 
yeah. who you are, who are your people and who you are not, you really need to get out of the comfort zone. The comfort zone allows okay. you to sleep, you know, to be on standby. And it's very comfortable until it's not, right? Until you don't understand how you're in that job with that friends doing that thing and how, how unaware you are as to actually what your needs are and also how to get there. So I think whether you want it or not, you took yourself out of the comfort zone. And I think it's a great process. And the reason I wrote the book, by the way, is I think that people don't need to move countries right. to ask themselves questions. It's just, it's the, the world like that allows you to ask those questions. And especially, I think I, I wrote it before Corona, who knew that we'll have so much time right. and you can't define yourself. You know, I have a friend in New York who is a marathon runner and um, he was the happiest guy on earth because you know, for those of us who know a little bit of medicine, basic, basic knowledge, endorphins that are, that the body produces after you run a marathon is something that makes you feel happy. And so the guy was the happiest uh, on earth. And he was volunteering with kids and everything. And he's been dealing with a very deep, uh, very strong depression for last year because the only thing he knew about himself, how to make him happy, was to run. And now the moment there is no competition, the moment, and this is the person who looked on the surface as somebody who is, knows how to have, you know, fulfilling and purposeful life. And so, uh, it's, it's the level of, we all know something, but you, you said it very right. We all are very near to what is close to us, but unless you actually open your eyes and choose it, That's you right. don't get that much satisfaction from that because you are near, but this feeling is it's close, but it's not. It doesn't give you this strength. I think it doesn't give you confidence. The moment you, you choose it consciously, right. you know, that's when it's, uh, but for that, you need to ask un un uncomfortable yeah. questions. But, but this is right. one of my questions about the museum for the Jewish people. So, you know, one of the questions that I ask myself, so when you go around and you talk about being Jewish, what you're talking about? Do I have to be religious? Do I have to observe? Um, let me just tell you a short story before that you understand where I come from. When I came to the States, I was like maybe 22 to, to do my degree at the University of Michigan. And in order to make money, I went and played the accordion and you know, stuff like this. And many students, male, came to me and asked me, listen, I you know I, I fell in love with a non-Jewish girl. And what to do? You know, a shiksa, as we say. And I never had doubt, but I came from the place when I told them, listen, if you marry a Christian or a Muslim or non-Jews, you are actually diminishing, a, a, I don't know how to call it, a civilization, a culture, you know? So less and less there will be Jewish. And I think you have a responsibility. I think Armenians and every minority, you know, there is a, a value to each culture. And you are taking, you know, you, you, you put your hand in diminishing the amount of Jews if you marry a non-Jewish woman. So I didn't come from a religious point of view, I think. So I'm asking you when the Museum of Jewish People approach people, and I'm sure you are trying to deal with the simulations, which we will talk in a minute. So how you present the term being Jewish? Look, first I'll tell you, we are not, we, we, we have a, when we talk about our audience, Okay, we, we want to go as wide as possible. So we don't decide for anyone. And we're, of course, we're not rabbinical court or anybody. We don't decide for anyone how they should be feeling. And whoever is interested in exploring our story, they're all welcome. 
where we draw the line with, with the museum, for example, is that it have to be people that can be critical of Israel, but have to believe that there should be a Jewish state. Okay, so we are still, we are very Zionist organization, first and foremost, and we believe that Israel is a magnet for the Jewish people in the spiritual center, whether you choose to live there or not, that's a choice that every person in a democratic world should make, you know, for themselves. I'll tell you from my perspective very personally, okay, and that's something that it's, um, it's an advantage and a disadvantage coming from, uh, from Russia. So I never knew that being Jewish is a religion because what I found out was that Jewish people, when, when did I start to feel comfortable and interesting and, and, and being part of Jewish people is when I found out that I have people. So for me, being Jewish is being part of the people. Now, I think that religion plays a huge role and I think there are people, we all come from the religion and I think it's the beginning of us and it's a part of us. However, I know for a fact, and that may be very simplistic, but I know for a fact that this is a way of life which suits some and doesn't suit others, right? So I can say that because I live in the, I, I live in the marriage where my husband is uh, religious and I'm not religious. So there, it's a way of living, right? It's less matter of, Faith, it's more metaphor of how you structure your life and which circles you are part of, right? Now, if you separate now, if you take uh, really religion, it's, it's a lot. And I think people don't go into, into, into um, uh, different categories and that's what you should do. You should, yes, because what you need to understand is there is faith, there is the way you live, there is history, there is connection, there is tradition. And so I think a lot of times this, conversation about Tadakao, like over, over imposing religious, religious way of life comes from a little bit of ignorance and lack of uh, desire to go deep because I, I will give you my personal example. And that's how we do it in the museum because we provide for everybody what, what will connect them. Our job is to make sure that everybody finds themselves. We don't decide for them, but I'll tell you how it is for me. And you think you'll understand me uh, better. So. I'm, uh, I think I'm a believer, I believe in something. I, I struggle finding the words for that, but I definitely know that I'm not the only one who is making decision in my life. Let's put it that way, right? I do not, uh, I, I don't feel comfortable when anybody tells me what I should be doing. So religious way of life is not for me because any question why I should be doing that, no answer is sufficient, right? There are people, there is a tradition now, okay. There are people who love tradition I am less interested, though I'm very happy that I have now Shabbat dinner at home because this brings family together. But tradition is not of that interest for me. But for example, culture and language is something that I connect to. So you see, when you start actually not overreacting to that uh, and, and uh, start understanding that you have it for everybody and it can be anything you want, right? But the thing is, the, the Jewish world is so big. Jewish people are so big. There are so many options. And so what we do in the museum, we want to make sure that we don't decide for anyone. We just give them an opportunity to get excited as we are, because we are proud and excited to be Jewish. That's the biggest present I got in my life that I was born uh, uh, Jewish, right? So we want people to get excited and to find their ways. And whether it's through, through you know, uh, design or food or history, and that's up to everybody. You know, one of the reasons, the main reason that I really like the museum is that you put the religion outside of the whole story. Jewishness, it's not only religion, it's not only a religion way to, to carry it. 
and you basically can find yourself in a place that belongs to the Jewish people, the way you want to be Jewish, and nobody tells you it's wrong or it's right. They say, welcome, and they help you to find your way, or they create another way for you, or they allow you to create a way for uh, other people in the museum. There's something about uh, freedom, freedom of choice, be a Jewish as the way you want. And there are so many Jews everywhere spread and in so many different ways. And I don't think one kind can tell the other kind you're less Jewish or more Jewish, or you're yeah. not good you know, as, at, at this way of life or the other way of life. You can live all alone on an island under a tree and say, I want to be part of the Jewish world and I want to do it my way. And I want to stay under this tree and to pray to the God of the whatever, and it's okay. There's something so beautiful about uh, a Jewish life and Jewish culture. And one of the problems in Israel that, and I think that that's why many people have a problem with this because the uh, religion took over politically, and then they don't see the definition between religion and Jewish. And the culture is beautiful. Religion depends, you know, who we're dealing with, and we know that it's, it's more problematic, but you cannot breathe in between. So people say, I don't like the Jewishness because mm -hmm. it has to do with the people. And right. it's wrong. And in the museum, you can navigate the way you want, and it's beautiful and it gives you the opportunity to breathe, to find your place, to find your community, to find your people, to find your way. Yeah, but you know, okay. but what you said, I don't know how you feel you know, about, about this, but um, what you say that most Israelis, the secular ones, don't reject Jewishness and don't reject the holidays. Um, they love the Shabbos, although they would like the, you know, the supermarkets to be open. But many of them are really have a big problem with what happened now. It became really extreme, where most of the political decisions are actually depend on the ultra religion, and they actually took hold us by the neck. And um, it used to be that we couldn't talk against religion people. You know, it's, it was not proper. But now I think I don't know if you find any solution to this feeling of almost being trapped and we don't have choice. And we are led by, by I don't know what it is, is the power of the ultra-religious people. And we know that ultra-religious or ultra or extremists in everything have, are willing to fight and die for their ideas, you know? Yeah, and the liberal... But look, I, I can tell you, I think I have, I, I have a theoretical solution to that and under some level of understanding, but it's, it's, it requires kind of, um, look, I think that the world is taken over by the loudness of extremes. Mm -hmm. Whether it doesn't matter whether it's uh, ultra-religious in Israel, right, left, left wing. I mean, you, you look at the Democratic Party in the United States and you think that it's been taken over by communists, which for me coming from a communist background, is a joke in itself, right? I mean, in the country which is built on capitalism, you have a party which will have now presidency, Congress and Senate, which has a big majority, big group of people who believe that it, communism is the way, right? When it proved itself being wrong. But what happens is, I think, is that when you are on the extremes, and if we take the map, you know, we take the, the, the circle and we'll put the extremes, there are two things that define it. First of all, it's very, very loud. 
okay? Yes, extremes yes. have to be loud because it's also, it's always one line. It's always one line. Second, extremes are representing victims. They're representing victimhood because what happens if you're extreme is that it's always the conversation about what could be different if somebody else changed, right? It's never a responsibility for yourself. It's always why somebody else needs to be blamed and why, now, by the way, this is the game of blame. It's happening with everything. It's not only, you know, it's with the, whether it's with the religion, whether it's with the political right and left, whether it's with the uh, Me Too movement, men, women, whether it's Jews and Arabs, you go everywhere, you find the, re I mean, there is a great opportunity to blame somebody else, right? So uh, you have extremes which are saying things which are for anyone who is in the middle, and I think we're at 90%, 80% in the middle, right? We find appalling that they even say that. However, we are so used that common sense um, should prevail and that obvious things you don't state and obvious truth you don't state mm -hmm. that we actually keep silence. Or when we try to say something, well, we have, we have a, for example, in Israel, it's the like the, this, group of uh, leaders who try to take center every elections, right? They don't say anything. They don't come with vision. They don't have with anything practical. They're saying what they're against, but in the center, you should be saying what you are for, right? And so I understand completely the feeling that you are being trapped like that by the extreme. And it can be any extreme in any country. Look at what happened at Capitol Hill, you know, a couple of uh, days ago. Yeah. What I think is lacking is what lacking is the vision for something which is not extreme because extreme is it's very simple what they want right it's very simple it's very not complicated to explain and if somebody feels frustrated you can get him into your own you know uh, into your own camp pretty easy they, it doesn't matter what you're frustrated yeah we always say that, that you're close to religion you can become frustrated about uh, you know it's 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 easy it's the camp the camp of frustrated is very easy the camp of victims is very easy now unless there is a vision unless there is a what you are for and not what you are against we will always feel trapped because what happens is that we don't say something different mm -hmm. from what they you know you have to say that doesn't that doesn't look right to me this is not the way to live but i would like to have this but what is this we're not saying and so i think we're eating our own sorry uh, you know uh, the question is we say it who listens if there is and i don't know to i don't want really to take it to this direction but first but you if have there to is say to yourself yeah but you see but most israelis do feel trapped in terms of the influence of the ultra religious on on, on most people that you know not most people of israel Oh, really? Yeah, there are many people in Israel that they feel comfortable where, uh, where they are. But, but you know, Look, when, when we grew up, say it again. The so. moment, but, but you see the moment, you, you feel it on the ultra-religious. You will take some people fantasizing here, and they will feel that some, you know, ultra-left people. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter. You, will, you can find it anywhere. The question is with the approach. Whether somebody is like, you know, when this was, I don't know if you remember when, when uh, Sarkozy was still a president of France, there was a moment when they banned uh, women we wearing boots, yeah. right? Good job. And you think about that. If you know who you are, right? Would it matter to you what other woman is wearing? I mean, who really cares what other people are wearing? But because there was a vacuum, because 
religion doesn't uh, play a role in France, right? And what in French culture, like there's so much vacuum, there's so many Muslims coming in, people feel threatened. So what do they do? They say, okay, you can't wear that. But seriously, if you have a vacuum here, somebody will fill it in, right? And so when extremists can fill but it in- most people, unfortunately, don't think for themselves and they're not even, even now with the Corona, people go outside and say, but nobody said not to go, but nobody said to put this, nobody said, what about your uh, 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 responsibility as a grown-up to yourself? Exactly. It's very hard to uh, to be open-minded and move around all the all kinds of faces uh, uh, of uh, one one subject, and then find the balance and really find it in yourself to think: Where do I belong? What What do I do with this? How do I? Uh, take it from me. I don't tell others what to do. When you go to communities and you go to, even in capitalism, you, you listen to somebody on TV that tells you what to do, because that's how people get power. And that's how they can control other people to tell you what to do. And people are lazy and they like to listen to yeah. tell them what to do. I don't know if they're lazy. Hand, I don't know if it's only laziness, you know? I think it's a, listen, a lot. Listen, you talk a lot about identity um, and, but, but at the extremists, at least they, this is how they walk around. They, it appears like they know who you are, who they are. They know what they want. They know what is the price they're willing to pay in order to get what they want. Uh, it's, it's, it's very definite, very definite. There is almost no doubts. And people in general, um, I agree with you that they have to listen to a voice which uh, I don't know I'll give you an example. It's very, I'll give you a very simple example. When I met Leon, he told me, but I need you to know that uh, Leon came from a Orthodox background and he was in yeshiva and he said, I keep kosher. So at home we have to keep kosher. So everybody told me, what are you giving up your freedom for this? I said, shrimp or Leon, shrimp or Leon. It's ridiculous. <laughs> of course, Leon. So I don't eat shrimps anymore. It's really something of making your choices and prioritize the importance of what is most important to you and how you're going to define your life and follow what you believe. And this is something that you have to talk to yourself all the time. The first time I came to New York with Leon and we went downstairs to see, it was a movie about something about the Holocaust. I was so uncomfortable to sit outside of Israel among people that I had no idea if they're Jewish or not. And I couldn't believe that I feel it physically. So this is not my place to, to watch it or to do it or to see it. You know, and you find you, yourself facing it non-stop everywhere. What's so obvious in Israel, it's not obvious outside of Israel. And then I realized that many Jews never been in Israel. They right. don't think about Israelis right. the way we are. They don't think about Judaism. And I realized how many Israelis are wrong about the Jews here or the whole attitude. And I think, and I go back to the, go back to the museum, this is a place that you can all find um, not answers, but some a little bit, some idea, you know, some idea about the big picture of the big Jewish world. Yeah, but I didn't know that. They, okay. I didn't know that the museum. I really want to thank you because uh, you know I don't mind to say that I'm ignorant or I don't know something. Uh, therefore, actually, we are here. I'm very happy to hear that the Museum for Jewish People 
is actually open up to whatever you choose. You almost, you, you almost present what it is and you give you the menu and you can choose. And I didn't know that. The museum went through humongous. But you know that in the past when I understood change. that it's really Jewish people, Jewish people, only Jewish people. This is what it means to be Jewish. Uh, no, but you say it negatively to be for the Jewish people. That's what I got. This is what good. I understood it was. Sorry. Because um, you remember the old version of the museum. The old it's, version you of have to come now and, and see that. Yeah. But the whole idea was that there is a story that was told and it's told by Jewish people in many, in many ways. Our country still tells that story, which is we are united by our victimhood, we are united by pain, we are united by tragedy. And what was always meeting, and I'll tell you a small story first, and then you'll understand why it's important to me. I was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, talking to somebody about a big foundation about the museum. And I said that we're a museum, we want to celebrate who we are, because every nation deserves to celebrate who they are and to celebrate the positive, especially that we frankly did a lot great whether you like it or not, but we've been a very influential people all over the world and for ourselves. We also make mistakes, but we are, you know, active. And then she said to me, the president of the foundation, she said to me, but you can't say that. And I said, why? She said, oh, because anti-Semites, you know, because of the anti-Semitism, you have to keep it to yourself. And I realized that she's being, she's sitting in Los Angeles, a city which is, belongs to Jews, right? In Hollywood, meeting was in Hollywood. It belongs to Jews and she is still ashamed and scared because we have this genetic uh, load which says we are united, but we are united by the fact that we are good and hated, right? And so the part that we are good, we have to keep to ourselves. Now, if you keep that part to yourself, wow. then how would you, from a marketing, simple marketing perspective, how would my children or your children or, or any other children would want to be a part of that if that's something uh, so if the story of our people is a tragedy and victimhood. And so what the story that well, we like to tell ourselves is the story of how we are united by the victimhood. What we wanted is we wanted a place which tells the story of how we're united by not only, you know, it happened so, but it actually by our success, by our creativity and by our achievements. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, of course, there is a difficult part in our history. Of course there was, and uh, probably anti-Semites will be there forever. Right? And, and that's Part of how it unites us, but I wouldn't, I don't like when that you need outside world for people to come together. I think it's about time we as a country and as a people change the narrative to, oh, we are great and we are great together. And it's worth it's we have to be together because we are good together, even though we're so different. But the way forward you is need to work on it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we need to. And it's 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 uh it's really difficult for me to see how not together I found our people right. in this crisis, how much of this disagreement within the 15 million people that outside world will always define us together. Yes, but we are searching for the for the differences, and the museum is to show exactly that you can be very different, you can live anywhere you want. You can have that way or that way political views, do whatever you want, but you know that you are part of these people and that's what makes you stronger. Now, unless you know about it, it's really hard to, you know. It's wonderful, I want to tell you, because when we grew up, I mean, you also talk in your book quite a lot about how much we have to learn, we can, should learn from immigrants mm -hmm. about what make them, you know, stronger, how their resilience, how they survive when they come to, and we know that there are many immigrants who had such tough life and they made it. But when we grew up, 
you know, we look back at those, what we call halutzim, the pioneers who built Israel. They were the model. And every, um, in, you know, every wave of immigration that came to Israel, they had to look back and we didn't look at them. You know, we didn't look at each immigration and, and wondered, you know, how much can we get from them? We always we just say, do just a be, a, be us. So your perspective in the book, and I think in what you're talking now, is, is really very interesting. It's a very, um, very constructive. I, I think that's what I found out for myself on the personal you know, level, and that I went to research that, and hence the book, right? So this idea that immigrant, because he, he or she is limited in resources, by definition, you move and you don't have your networks, especially for Jews, it's even more. So you don't have your networks, you don't have a connection. I remember in London, somebody was asking me which university you went to. I said, it was in Moscow, not in UK. And they would go blind. It's like, <laughs> not Leeds. So which one is that, Manchester, Oxford? And no, it's outside the borders of the aisle, okay? <laughs> but you don't have all of that. And what happens is that you have to build resource. And what you do, you build your internal resource. You are not, you cannot, and that's that's answer to the question. You take responsibility. You cannot be a child anymore who says, if no, if I wasn't told that I can't be on the street, that means that I can't be on the street, right? Because you're right, Tilly, not everything needs to be told and not everything needs to be in a the law. There is a common sense and there is, you know, there's there's a you don't need everybody always grown up doesn't need somebody to tell him how to behave, right? But when you when you suddenly find yourself in this uh in being an immigrant and being a minority, suddenly you don't have an option of taking responsibility. Now, if you're taking responsibility, you're not to know, you need to know what you're taking it for. Who are you that you're taking responsibility? And so the whole process starts. And I think that this view that immigrants are very limited in their ability to, to make, it's, it's, it's wrong simply. It's, it's, it build, it's like people that coming out of trauma, you know, it's like, I know so many people that went through, through cancer who are the most love-loving people, much more, uh, much happier than what they were before, because unfortunately they had to go through that to choose to live. Now, I think that it's not the same trauma, but going to another country, leaving your life, life behind, especially not when you're a refugee, right? When you're not a refugee that you didn't have anything, but you chose to go to another place and build life from scratch, you right. need so much internal resource to Working build. Working hard for something gives you another oomph of everything on every level Absolutely. And, and slowly slowly it's drawing who you are and if you really uh, collect all these ingredients and you start to navigate in your own basket you become the person who you are and it never stops yeah it never stops no. because once you stop you again don't want to touch or to face certain things and you can as long as you breathe and you, as long as you think as long as you move around it changes and it's okay. It's okay, it's fine. Just don't ever stop thinking or feeling or trying to be part of something. Or even if you don't want to, it's okay as long as it's working for you. But um, but we have so many challenges, for example. Right. What, the, you know, I, I, I'm facing it, you know, what, the, I mean, so if my son wants to marry a non-Jew, what, what to tell him? It's a, it, it's tough. It's a trick question. Listen, I have two boys. I here. want both two boys. Uh, I don't, uh, but your girls are in Israel right. and, and everybody's Israeli. Um, you know, 
there are things that you don't think about it when you grow up in Israel. And in yeah. Israel, you have, I think that the main group of non-Jews that came to Israel was a part of the Russian immigration. Um, but I many times felt more comfortable with Israel, uh, Israeli Muslims or Christians than with Jewish outside because, you know, we share the same place, the same food, the same food, the same the weather, the same, you know, we had so many things in common. But once you get out of Israel, all of a sudden you realize that it's not a... a Some things are challenging. It's not a, a no, safe. You have to really figure out your way. So you can just say, oh, it doesn't matter. We are the people of the world and ta, 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 ta. Not really, not really. And then the world tells you, we don't really like you, you know? So it's a, it's a little bit different. And then you get banged from everywhere. So as long as, okay, the first girlfriend or the first boyfriend, never mind. But then when it comes to the continuity, uh, you know, I started with my, I grew up with the education system here with my boys. So we started in the Jewish system and then I took them out because I said, I had enough with the Jews. I have to go outside. But I was, I, I felt weird. I felt uncomfortable for a while. And then it took me time because, you know, you need to adjust in it and everything is challenge, but I like challenges and it's more interesting. And I think what I think is good for my boys now, not for life in general or for my family or for my people or whatever. I took them out of the Jewish system and I kept teaching them Judaism. I made sure that in every school they had a rabbi, somebody that came to teach them Jewishness, not religious Jewishness. And then, you know, and we talk about it a lot. And, the, and I say, you know, since you're guys, so once you have kids, the kids are not Jewish. If you marry the non-Jewish. So it's like, you don't have to get married. So <laughs> whatever. That's doesn't living matter. in sin. Doesn't matter. I'm kidding, doesn't I'm matter. Kidding. But uh, this means at the end of our family from the Jewish, from the Jewish community. And I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this. On the other hand, I can tell them, if you don't marry a Jew, if you don't go out with a Jew, da, 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 da. you know, we talk about it a lot. We open it up a lot. Each one is thinking totally something else. But, it's a, it's a, it's but a we have to face it all the time. We have to adjust to different thoughts. We have to, and we always protect ourselves with all kinds of activities to protect the whole thing so we won't get banged from left and right. And I don't know what will happen. And it's well, a it's a question how the question Jewish Museum, how the Museum of Jewish People are relating to the assimilation, which is huge. But look, I think we have what we have built for the Jews no matter what. We, we have what, what we have built is our our recipe from assimilation because if you want to keep Jewish and you don't feel that you're going to be religious and you want to feel that you are part of the Jewish culture and Jewish people, you'll have to find a way to connect and to find it in your roots and to right. build this for you. And then you need to know what your options are. And so, and also you need to believe this is exciting. Now we are all believe that being Jewish is exciting. We're all excited about Jewish people, not to say that we don't see problems, right? But it doesn't matter, it's a family, right? And so the way we actually see that as a, as a recipe for assimilation, because every time I have this conversation with religious people, they say, but religion is a much stronger glue. That's true, but it's glue that doesn't work for half of the people. And that's it, because if you were, 
if you're, you wouldn't ask this question, it will be only natural, but then they'll be limited maybe in some other options in life, right? And so I think that finding the way, and that's the reason I wrote the book, and that's the reason I'm in the museum, and that's the reason I'm friends with Tilly, right? I think that there is an exciting way, innovative way of learning and connecting to who you are and to your roots. I think that it's, if, it's, if it's being taught by rabbis from old school, we'll lose our people. But if it's being taught as something that is user-friendly for younger generation, makes them strong, not tells them be Jewish, but tells them this will make you stronger. I think that's the way that they will want to be Jewish. And then naturally, hopefully, they will want to marry someone who is their tribe, right? But unless they feel comfortable being Jewish, unless they want it as a part of them, how else would you persuade them? You know, it has to be theirs. It has to be really theirs. So I think there is, maybe there are other better options. I do that because I believe in that, right? I, I, everybody does what they believe in. But I think that being part of these people is an amazing, amazing present. Being, it's a difficult people, we're difficult people. Our life is never easy. It's comfortable, but it's never easy. It's soul searching every morning. It's moving all the time. It's not an easy life to be a Jew. However, it's an interesting life. It's a meaningful- It's not an easy life anywhere. I don't think it's easy any other place, but I think it's about introduction. If you introduce to everybody all kinds of sides and options, doesn't matter at, at one stage in your life, you might visit it and you remember it or you carry it on and it might change your position. And uh, it's very important to keep the dialogue open and all the time, all the time to visit in these spots. Jewish, Jewishness is, is rich and wise and it's beautiful. And Absolutely. it's easy to, to block the door and to lock the door and say, mm -mm, I'm not there. No, you can come in. It's okay. Nobody will bite you. As long as you do it your way and you choose to go to places that allow you. You know, in your, every Yom Kippur, I go to, to few synagogues. And in each synagogue, I have different relations with certain type of something that I want and I, and, and I would like to uh, expose or explore or, or uh, tie myself with. And it's beautiful. I feel free as a bird. I go from place to place. I enjoy all of it. And I, I don't have to say anything to anybody. And you know that this year on Yom Kippur, and this is really nice, uh, it was the corona. Nobody wanted to go to any synagogue, although they all wanted everybody to come. So we went few, the, a few girlfriends next to Tipi's house to a garden. And we had like a picnic for the breaking meal. And then on, on YouTube, we put all the versions of all the good cantors of Kol Nidre. We had the best was wonderful. Yom Kippur yes. and we had conversation to the night. It was great. It's a great experience. It's not written anywhere how to do it. And we did it our way. And it was a very spiritual, beautiful It was experience. the first time in my life that, because I was like panicking always to get to Kol Nidre. You know, I couldn't miss it even, you know, it's, and this time it was like a, it was a, a new experience. By but the way, know. are you in touch with the young generation of, of, of you know, of Israeli Russians who were born even in Israel, uh, how they deal with the two cultures, the young generation, younger generation? Young generation mixes and mixes it very easily because they don't they don't come from this them uh, they don't have a 
they don't have a feeling that they have to choose what's more important. So when we spoke early about Jewish person, uh, cosmopolitan, you name it, what you know, you have a lot of options of how you define yourself, mm -hmm. but you don't have a need. When you understand, you don't have a need to say what's more important, why it's one and why it's five. It's just it's your conversation with yourself. So because they don't have a natural need of explaining to anyone, they pick and choose. I see it with my, you know, with my children. It's really funny. My children are in, in the American school, so their first language there is between Russian and English, and their third language is Hebrew. And so they keep it. And I'm, I'm not a Russian mom in the traditional sense of word where I will teach them Russian until they die because that's important to me, right? But they know that they speak Russian to their grandparents, English to their friends, Russian and Hebrew to me. And so what they do is they don't ask themselves the questions because they are born into three. They don't ask themselves those questions. So the, when uh, Russians in Israel, when they are already 40 and minus, they don't have it's already trendy to be russian it's already a good thing to be russian it's not what their parents had to go through we always say when they freeze it's like an nbc <laughs> you froze for a yeah, second and CB likes to level to the big networks <laughs> i say that when you're frozen it's also open and cbs and cnn and it's okay we're in good company. we go with the flow we go yeah. with the flow so, so i yeah. think that they are they are quite comfortable with that but they still keep, I see that I'm, I'm really not that part of that community that much. I, I just have all of it. I don't belong to any group, but, mm -hmm. but uh, they are still keeping it within the language more. Like it's still more based on the language than something else. And it's, it's interesting yeah. to see. But they, they really, I want to tell you something, you know, um, we said in the beginning that there are so many new things and new ideas and really it's very difficult to keep up. But I want to tell you the conversation with you really opened up a whole uh, area uh, and, and things that I didn't know, like about the Museum of the Jewish People. And I'm very happy uh, because I, I think it's really a wonderful trend and, and, and vision. We talk about vision. That's really a wonderful vision that you that to get as many people or to contain you know, our container is much bigger now. I see a very big future for the museum because it's only getting better and better. Wonderful. Uh, and the message is clearer and wider. And um, I like it a lot. That was like let's, it. Hope it open. Well, let's hope it opens soon and we'll all meet to yes. celebrate. Yes, that's right. Wow. Irina, you know, it's, it's an hour almost and um, we can talk forever. Is there anything that, yeah, we need to eat. <laughs> we always eat. Is there anything, is there anything that you would like to sum up or just a little message to say before we say goodbye? Only to say thank you and only to say that I'm so happy to be in the company of people who think positively and forward. And that it doesn't come from La La Land, it comes from actually good reality check. And I think that we do need a vision to bring more and more of us together because we do need to be together for a good reason, not Absolutely. because we suffer together. Absolutely. Right. So uh, we're not, we only, you know, we thank you. And of course the museum was, was doing what he's doing. And thank you, Tilly. Thank you, Tilly. Yeah, and we are here next week. Uh, as I say always, we don't go anywhere except from the room to the for kitchen. The kitchen. For the kitchen, <laughs> and that's exactly what we are going to do now. We are going to eat, right? Absolutely. That's right. <laughs>
Bye, Bye. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Great. Thank you. See you.